0: Good morning. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you have one. You can go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 9. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Uh, today, uh, we're we're wrapping up this series called Beyond the Cross. And we've studied the various appearances Jesus made between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And this morning, we're going to focus in on one last appearance. And although this one took place after the ascension, as Jesus, it takes place as Jesus radically redirects a rebel named Paul, also known as Saul. That was his Hebrew name. Now, when I prepared this message um, earlier in the week, um, didn't expect events this week to turn out the way they did. Um, this tragedy in Texas, it just breaks my heart that someone would do things like that, that someone would just go into a school and take the lives of 19 children. I mean, it just breaks my heart that, that we live in a society where it's almost an everyday occurrence anymore. Um, and, and I just really want to say that it's not okay. And, and we really need to work harder at being what we're called to be. And I, I, I mentioned this partly because my introduction that I decided to use this morning is, what would we do if we heard that someone was headed to this city, specifically to this church, targeting it for destruction? I mean, we'd lock the doors, obviously. We'd lock the doors. We'd pray, I'd hope. But what, what would we pray for if we knew someone was here coming for us? Would we pray that God would intercept him? Uh, would we just pray somehow that God would strike this person dead? Uh, would we pray for some divine accident? Would we pray that God would send his angels to protect this building? But would any of us pray that this man would be converted and saved from his sins? See, that's, that's what happened to a fanatic named Saul. Saul. Just outside of the city that he was targeting, God broke through into his life and redirected the course that he would take from that point forward. And I want to suggest this morning that Saul's salvation, it has application for all of us here today. God's purpose in saving Saul is to give you hope for yourself and for the people that you want to see saved. So this morning, what I want us to do is look and see how God claimed this terrorist. So let's pray. We'll read our text, and we'll see what God has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I asked you this morning, um, with with a heart that's heavy, just for, for the unimaginable things that happen in the world today, things that happen because people don't know you, Because we don't do our job and reach people for Christ. Father, I pray that as we see how you just refined this rebel, how you changed the course of his life, how you changed the direction that he was taking and changed his, his hatred and anger into love and patience. That, Lord, that we see how you can change even the hardest heart, the most difficult person, then you can change their direction, and you can use them to build your kingdom. Father, I pray that as we go to your word and see how Paul's life so drastically changed, that, Lord, we see the truth that our lives don't have to be the way they were, the way they are this morning, the way they've been in the past, that, Lord, we can be a new creation used in great ways by you for your purposes. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. So Acts chapter 9, starting in the, verse, in the first verse, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. The first thing that I want to look at as we see how God refined this rebel is let's look at his struggle. Let's look at his struggle. Uh, Saul, Saul was a Pharisee. Who, he really believed that he needed to destroy Christianity because he felt that it was a threat to Judaism. And actually, he believed he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing God's work by taking out the followers of the way because in his mind, in Paul's mind, Saul's mind, those believers, those people who believed in Jesus, they were heretics. They were blasphemers. And if he did what he could to stop this new religion, maybe then God would send the real Messiah to Israel. Understand that Saul, Saul was very religious. Saul was respected. He was refined. He was well educated. He was ambitious. He was zealous. And at the same time, he was filled with hatred and bitterness. He thought that those who didn't believe like he did needed to be eliminated. Back when Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, we're told that the executioners, where did they lay down their cloaks? Where did they put their garments at? At the feet of Saul, a young man named Saul. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we find that Saul not only stood guard over their clothes, he gave his approval. He sat there. Ooh, ooh, that was a good shot. Ooh, you got him in the head that time. And after Stephen's death, persecution broke out against the church and the apostles they scattered throughout judea and samaria and god was actually using that persecution of of the church to help fulfill the mission of acts 1 8 so that the believers they didn't just stay all clustered in jerusalem but they would spread out into judea Judea. (laughs) that's a hard thing to say into judea samaria and even to the ends of the earth Acts 8.3 gives us an idea into what kind of man Saul was. Acts 8.3 says, but Saul, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So as these believers in Jerusalem, as they were persecuted, many of them fled to Damascus about 200 miles away, and they thought they'd be safe there. But Saul, he's like a bloodhound on the trail, and he is going after them with everything that he has. We're told that Saul, he's still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. And he went to the high priest, and he said, give me some authority here. I need some power. Give me some letters so I can go to Damascus. And if I find any of these people, whether they're men, whether they're women, whether they're children, let me bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. Paul wasn't just doing a job, Paul was on a mission. His very breath was filled with spite and hatred. The image that we see in our text is one of intensity. He didn't care who those believers were, he didn't care, men, he was equal opportunity. He was armed with the right legal documents so that he could arrest and extradite them nothing's gonna stop him so you have to wonder why did this religious respected refined man become relentless in his pursuit of the people who believed and trusted in the name of jesus maybe when he saw stephen's face when he looked like an angel and he heard the words lord Don't hold these sins against them. Maybe something snapped inside of Saul. He he was shaken. And in that insecurity, he became crazed and a reactionary. But even as his anger, as it ignited, and as that rage rose, something else happened inside of him. As he watched, as he watched Stephen being stoned, Four years later in Acts 17, he would even make a reference to the very message Stephen preached moments before his execution. And do you know what? That, that actually encourages me a lot because it proves although some people might seem to be turning a deaf ear and not listening to what we're saying. Maybe even worse, they're picking up stones and taking aim The Word of God does not return void. It does not come back empty. Scripture, it's almost like a time bomb. Start sharing the Word. And even though that person that you're talking to might look at you as if you're crazy, anybody get that? (laughs) When you're sharing the Word with them, you're planting those little time bombs inside of them. So start sharing the word with your kids, with your coworkers, with your friends or family, and wait for those bombs to go off, just like they did in the heart of Saul. What we see is that Paul was very, very religious. And at the same time, Paul had no relationship with God. He thought he was doing God's work, but he wasn't doing God's will does that describe you today? You you may be passionate about what you're doing, and you could be as far from God, wants you to do, or maybe you're just far from God today. We see Paul's struggle. Next, we see his salvation. We see his salvation. Paul uh, might not have agreed with the struggle that he was in a struggle, that something was going on inside him. But verses 3 to 5 revealed that he was actually in a battle with Jesus himself. It says, now he's on, he's on his way to Damascus, and suddenly there's a light that comes down from heaven and shines all around him, and he falls to the ground. What else are you going to do? With it? It's either God or it's aliens. And he hears a voice, and it says, Saul, Saul, Why? Are you persecuting me? And Paul just responds, Who are you, Lord? And the response that he got must have shaken him to his core I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Understand that Saul, as determined as he was, could not stop God's purposes. Saul learned at that moment that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And on his way to arrest others, the Lord arrested him. We know from Acts chapter 22, verse 6, that it was about noon when this happened. And that light from heaven, it just flashed all around of him. And God, when God sent that kind of light, because it was God, not aliens, uh, it usually meant there was some judgment coming. And then he hears the voice repeat his name twice for emphasis. Saul, Saul. Back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God repeated the name of Moses twice. Jesus would say, Martha, Martha. I was going to say it a third time, but that's Martha, Marsha, Marsha. Martha, Martha. And Simon, Simon, when he was trying to correct them. Imagine how Saul felt. What was going through his mind at this time? He'd been certain, I am doing God's work. I am being a good religious boy right now. And the voice says, Why are you persecuting me? And to his credit, to Saul's credit, when he addresses Jesus, he calls him Lord. But that next statement had to shake him to his sandals. He thought Jesus was dead. He thought that the members of the way, that his followers, they were mistaken. And he hears the words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When Jesus says, I am, it takes us back to Exodus 3.14, where God says, I am who I am. Jesus is the great I am. And don't miss the connection between Jesus and the church. What is done to Christians, what is done to his church... It's done to Christ. And when a believer, when a believer is persecuted, Jesus feels that pain. Jesus takes persecution very personally. In verse six, Saul is told to go into the city where he's going to get further instructions. In, in, in verse seven, it gives us some insight into Saul's companions, how they were processing everything. It says they stood speechless, because they heard the voice. They just didn't see anything. So Saul gets up from the ground. He opens his eyes and sees nothing. His friends, they take him like a ch- and lead him like a child into Damascus. It, it, it's just this picture, this, the tough guy, the hard man. And he's now led like a child. So traumatized was Saul that he didn't eat or drink for three days. And maybe... For that three days of darkness, maybe he realized how dark his soul was. And I'm sure he replayed his life over and over for those 72 hours, remembering how many times and how many ways that he had wronged God when he had persecuted people. And I wonder if his mind went back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28, verses 28 and 29. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. And you you shall not prosper in your ways. So Saul, after struggling, after being saved, Saul needed some support. So let's next look at his support. Let's look at his support. Uh, The Lord, he calls out to this disciple named Ananias. Ananias. He calls to him in a vision in verse 10, and it's kind of interesting because his name, Ananias, means Jehovah is gracious, that God is gracious. And he's about to find out what grace really means. God calls out to this man, he says, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now, the street called straight, it was well-known, nobody could miss it. It'd be like going to Chicago and saying, I can't find Michigan Avenue. He's called, to the, he's called to go to a house of a man named Judas and just ask for Saul. Jesus is describing what Saul's doing, that he's praying, in order to help Ananias see that Saul's conversion, that it was real. See, prayer, prayer is evidence of conversion, as he's been changed. Paul's been changed from this persecutor to a prayer. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, prayer is the autograph of the Holy Ghost upon a renewed heart. And any believer who isn't praying is an oxymoron. Ananias responded exactly how many of us would have. He said, Lord, hold up. I have heard from many about this guy, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, here, here in, in Damascus, he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias, he doesn't even want to get close to Saul because he doesn't trust him. He he doubts whether the conversion that happened on the road was real. Maybe Ananias is thinking that, well, since since Saul, since he's blind and he can't see me, maybe I can get out of town before he knows I'm there. And God repeats his command. He says, go, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, Saul's future ministry, it was going to be marked by suffering. And Ananias does two things to communicate acceptance and support in verse 17. First, he places his hand on Saul. And second, he calls him brother. And through touching him, In words of inclusion, he's giving Saul the support that he needs. When Saul would eventually return to Jerusalem in verses 26 and 27, he tries to hang out with the disciples. He's like, hey, guys, I'm one of you now. They were scared to death of him. They doubted whether he was really saved. And at that time, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, came alongside him, brought him to the apostles, telling them how Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. There's a story about a little boy. um, He made his mom and dad very upset, which little boys don't ever do, do they? I never did that. He made his mom and dad, they're really upset with him, and they make him sit by himself at a different table during supper. So the little boy, he bowed his head before he was about to eat, and he prayed. And he said, thank you, Lord, for preparing a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Listen to me. As brothers and sisters in Christ, being part of God's family, we cannot be enemies. Instead, we need to embrace one another. We need to accept each other. We need to forgive each other. We all need someone to come alongside us and make us feel included, don't we? So let me ask, who is it that you're helping? Is there someone who needs you to stand alongside of them today? Be a Barnabas to someone. What I think is interesting in this passage is that there is more scripture covering, uh, <coughs> devoted to convincing Ananias to go to Saul than the conversion of Saul. Isn't that weird? It takes more time to convince Ananias to go to Saul. Ananias is a believer. Saul was a new believer. We need. See, there's no room for somebody to say, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. If you are saved, you are meant to be connected to a local body of believers. Paul wouldn't have understood that common answer that we hear today. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can worship God wherever I am. And yes, you can. But we're also commanded in Hebrews 10.25 to not give up, to not abandon, to not forsake, meeting together with other believers, encouraging one another. But you can't say, I can't work with that person. You can't say, I can't forgive that person. Because if you would just stop for one minute and think about what you've been forgiven, and if that's not enough, if that's not enough to get you to forgive someone else, you need, you need to have a serious come-to-Jesus moment in your life. Verse 18 describes only as Dr. Luke could describe it. And diagnosed it. He says immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Saul, this rebel. He went from darkness to light, from not being able to see spiritual truth to having the eyes of his heart opened wide to the spirit. And we also see that belief always precedes baptism. Saul is is saved, and then he's baptized. And and, and he doesn't waste any time doing it. It might have been in the bathtub at Judas' house. So after struggling, after getting saved, and then finding support from other believers, Saul models the importance of serving. So let's look finally at his service. Let's look at his service. Verse 19, it tells us that he spent uh, several days with the disciples in Damascus, and then he does something amazing in verse 20, and immediately, it's like, okay. I need a couple days to get my strength back. I didn't eat for three days, so let me do this. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And the people, the people, they're astonished because all they remember is who Saul used to be, the man who was making havoc in Jerusalem. But Paul only grew bolder and, bolder and confounded the Jews who were living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul was a sharp man. He had a sharp mind. And he was able to bring all of those pieces together and demonstrate to people that Jesus was the Messiah. As we look at Saul's conversion, we might be tempted to think, well, his experience, it's unique, and, and that we can't relate to it. And while the circumstances are certainly exceptional, how he got saved is an example for all of us. Listen to what he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul calls himself, he says, I am the worst of the worst, I am bottom of the barrel. I am the worst sinner in the world. And he says, yet Jesus displayed his unlimited patience and saved him as wretched as he was. He went from struggling to being saved to being supported to serving. And his conversion is an example for all of us. And, And I want to share quickly three implications for all of us today. The first is, You can be saved. You can be saved. It it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter how you've been living up till now. You can be, and you must be saved. You may be religious. You may be rebellious. You might just be a regular person. Either way, you need to be saved. Saul's name was changed to Paul after his conversion. His nature the very nature of who he was was changed, and so was his name. In his letters, Paul would describe salvation in no uncertain terms. You're either a child of light or a child of darkness. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You're either saved or you're lost. You are on the path to paradise or you are on the highway to hell. You're either in or you're out. And maybe today is a day that you need to be saved. Respond to him. Or he may do something <laughs> dramatic to knock you down so that he can pick you up again. You can be saved. Next one, anybody can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Let, let me ask you a question. Have you lost hope for a family member, a friend, a coworker? Have you lost hope of them ever coming to Christ? I I, I really respect those of you that are following Christ faithfully, praying for a family member, a friend, or a neighbor so that they'll be saved because just as Paul was saved as an example for us, you've been saved for someone as well. Ask yourself for whose sake were you saved? Because you can't stop praying, you can't stop loving, you can't stop serving, and you can't stop living authentically. You need to model a gentle spirit just like our Savior. And you need to take those opportunities to speak up for Him when they come up. Because if, if God could save Paul, if He could save me, He can save anyone. The last one. Don't get tired of sharing your testimony. Don't get tired of sharing your testimony. Paul Paul knew that it was only God's grace that saved him. It had nothing to do with him. He had played no part in it except responding. It's no accident that every time that he writes to the churches in his letters, he begins with the same words, grace and peace to you. He knew he didn't get what he deserved. Instead, he received the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And Paul could never stop talking about it, ever. Paul's conversion is recorded in Acts chapter 9. He tells a story again about how he was saved in Acts 22 and Acts 26. Read those later. I won't read them today. It might help you. Learn how to share your salvation story. This morning, Paul was a rebel. Paul was outside of God's will. Paul was actively pushing against the church. He was trying to destroy the church because he thought that he knew better. That his way was the right way. And he was rebelling against God. And today, maybe you're a rebel like Paul. Maybe you think that things might be better if you were in charge. (laughs) Maybe you think that, you know, things need to be your way. Because that's what Paul thought. He said, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And God had to knock him down to get him to see the light. Maybe you're rebelling just by not serving, by not giving, by not being active with your faith. Because that's another act of a rebellion. Not serving, not giving, not participating. Maybe you're rebelling by not forgiving. Maybe you're not forgiving someone because you don't want to because you don't want to let go that needs a change God refined Paul and if he could refine Paul he can refine you and he can use you don't let it get to the point where he has to knock you to the ground to get that through. This morning, if you don't know Christ, before you do get knocked down, know the truth that Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life for you. That he died a horrible death on a Roman cross, that he was buried, and on that third day, raised back to life, so that by trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, that you could have forgiveness and eternal life but there is also a call if you have received christ and that's to follow him faithfully christ said go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded and when you put your will before his that's rebellion today is a day that changes Today is the day that we surrender everything to him. Because that's what we're meant to do. Paul, it was drastic. Don't let that happen to you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come. And put your faith and your trust and hope in him, in him alone today. And today, if you recognize that you are rebelling, I want you to come, don't talk to me, just come, tell him. And say, Lord, I want to be right. I want to be faithful and I want to be obedient. And I want to serve you like I've never served you before. I'm going to pray, and I encourage you to come if you need to. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Son Jesus. Thank, thank you that, that you could save anyone, that you can redirect anyone's life, that you can refine us into who we need to be. There'll still be rough edges. But Lord, we can make a choice to be faithful to be obedient or to rebel against you. Father, I just ask that we make the commitment to serve you wholeheartedly, with no reservations, without holding anything back, to be what you want us to be, to be the church you want us to be, and to see your kingdom grow. Lord, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you so much that none of us are beyond hope, None of us are beyond restoration. Forgive us for making things what they don't need to be. Allow us to be used. Let us be your people, committed to that single purpose, to building your kingdom. And we thank you for your son, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. Please stand.